Good afternoon. I'm going to stay on the floor as we talk about the home, and I want to continue our study that we began a couple of weeks back. And in our study today, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, as we think about what every home needs. And let me just preface the lesson today by saying, I'm not sure really where the distinction is drawn between preaching and teaching, but there is, there's a strong need for teaching when it comes to the home, preaching as well. But I want to maybe look at this lesson and the previous lessons that we've already explored. I want to do so from the vantage point of a classroom, because I think it's important for us to go back and to read together what the Bible has to say. Now, we've talked about love and how love is to be that basic foundational principle upon which the home is to be built. And of course, that would include not only love for one another, but specifically love for God. And then we talked last week about loyalty and the importance of once we become man and wife, to understand that that relationship is to be permanent in nature. So in our study today, what I want to do is talk for a moment or two about leadership in the home. I want to begin our study as we think about leadership in the home by submitting to you that when you go back and you look at the three divine institutions that God framed in the long ago, the first being the home, the second, the civil government, and the third would be the church. In every institution, there is a realm of authority. I think that's important to remember. Now, that being said, what I want to do is begin by looking with you at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I want to call your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's sad that we live in a day and time when many people have diminished the work and role of women. I think it's unfortunate that in days gone by, women have fought for equality when in many respects, biblically speaking, they have always been on the same plane in terms of equality. Now, I would grant that we all have differing roles and responsibilities that would be true in the church as well as in the home. But authority does not diminish equality. I think that's important to remember. You recall in Galatians chapter 3, when Paul talked about we're all sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. He said, as many of us as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And thus, it's in that context that Paul would say there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ. And so, to understand first and foremost that from a spiritual vantage point, we're on the same plane. We are equal in Christ. That doesn't mean that, we're, that we have the same role and the same responsibility. But from the vantage point of Almighty God, we are equal. Having said that, let's look now at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in verse 3. Paul said, I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. Now you remember in John chapter 10, in verse 30, Jesus said on one occasion, I and the Father are one. 
But over in chapter 14 and verse 28, Jesus said, The Father who sent me is greater than I. Well, how's that the case? I thought he said that he and the Father were one in terms of equality. Well, they are. But in order for the Lord to accomplish the redemptive plan, it involved Jesus subordinating himself to the will of the Father. Now, that didn't mean that God the Father was greater than he. But when Jesus came to earth, he took a subordinate role. He subjugated himself to the will of Almighty God. Didn't diminish his authority or his equality from the vantage point. He was deity, right? So what Paul is saying here, the framework, the head of every man is the woman. The head of Christ is God. That being said, let's go back and look at Genesis chapter 3 for a moment. You remember in Genesis chapter 2, what? Yeah, I may have said that wrong. My bad. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, the head of every woman is the man, and the head of man is Christ, and the head of Christ is God. But nonetheless, look at, uh, go back and look with me at Genesis chapter, go back and look at Genesis chapter 3 for a minute. In chapter 2, God is the one who instituted the home. We've already looked at what God said in the long ago. It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a suitable helper, a companion, an answer. To man's needs. And so he made the woman. And so in chapter 3, following the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, you remember down in verse 16, God said to the woman, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. What God's saying there is, in the context of the home, the husband, the man, is to assume the role of headship. Now again, we talk about the culture and the climate of the times. The whole idea of submission in the home is in many respects a no-no in terms of how people view their role and that role. And sadly, that thought process has woven its way into the church. That being said, let's look now. Turn over, if you would, to the book of Ephesians. Let's just look at Ephesians chapter 5, the passage that Kevin read a moment ago. And let's just see what God has to say. Beginning in verse 21, I think it's important for us to begin in verse 21. Paul writes, submitting yourselves or submitting to one another in the fear of God. Oftentimes we begin talking about, well, the wife is subject to the husband, and she is. But Paul prefaces that by saying, that both the husband and the wife are to be submissive to one another. 
And they do so in fear, reverence, or awe of the Creator. Now, God's the one that has designed the home. God has set forth His blueprint. And since He is the designer of the home, it would only stand to reason that He has the right to regulate how the home is to operate. That being said, let's look now at verse 22. Paul said, Wives, submit yourselves or submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. In the original, that word carries with it the idea of to rank under, to arrange or to order. Matter of fact, the root of that, hupo, means under. And then Tasso means to order, to delegate. He's talking about rank here. Now, again, he's not saying that the husband is superior to the wife. But rather what he is saying is that in the context of the home, God has so designated a leader. That leader is to be the man, the male. Now, somebody might raise the question and say, well, what about... What about a Christian woman who's married to an unbelieving man? Should she submit to his authority in the home? Well, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3 very quickly. In 1 Peter chapter 3, look at verse 1. Likewise, you wives... Be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. The picture here is that of a believing woman or wife who is married to an unbelieving husband or a non-Christian. And what Peter is saying is, in the context of the home, the woman, the Christian woman, has the obligation of submitting herself to her unbelieving husband. Now, I would go back and just hit pause for a minute, and I want you to just think about something. Submission only goes insofar as what the Word teaches. If you have an unbelieving husband that tries to coerce or instruct you or maybe to encourage you to do something that is not biblical, then by all means you defer in that. The same is true in terms of the children. Paul said, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Well, if they try to tell you to do something that's not biblical, well, you understand the implications of that. What we're talking about is things that align themselves with what the Bible teaches. And so if your non-believing, non-Christian husband is assuming that role of headship, well, you are to be submissive to him insofar as what he says does not conflict or contradict the Scriptures. As Peter said many years ago, we must obey God rather than men. All right, having said that, let's go back and look. There's some things that I want you to think about in connection with this whole idea of submission. 
Because underneath all of this is love. Look again at verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So to understand, first and foremost, when the home is brought up, we're talking about submissive love. We're submissive to not just God, but also to one another. And then in that context, the wife is submissive to the husband. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. So you have submissive love, and then look at verse 24. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Well, what does that mean? It means in the realm of authority, what God is saying is that the male, the husband, the father, is to be that spiritual leader. Now again, is there equality? Yes. Is the husband to be a dictator? A tyrant? No. Does the woman have the right, does the wife have the right to provide insight, advice? Well, of course. But when it's all said and done, the ultimate voice of authority is the man. Now I want you to see something here. In verse 24, Paul said again, Just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Just as the church is to subjugate herself to the law, what Paul is saying is, as a mate, you have to be submissive to your husband. Because that's God's divine arrangement. It would be no more correct for a wife to not submit to the husband as it would for the church to not be submissive to the teaching of Christ. They go hand in hand. You can't separate the two. Some years back, matter of fact, probably a little over 20 years ago, Nancy used to do a lot of modeling. When the events transpired on 9-11 in New York City, she was there for the purpose of modeling. And I remember she and I had a conversation one time about some of the parameters involving modeling. Matter of fact, I remember one time I was in Chattanooga for a meeting. And I was in the hotel lobby, and I picked up a magazine, I flipped it over, and on the back side of the magazine was Nancy. I was like, how'd that happen? Well, she, she used to do a lot of modeling, and she did a lot of different things. But one of the things that we discussed was there are certain things that you just don't do. And so it was important for us to just define some parameters. And she'd be the first to tell you she turned down a lot of money because there were certain things that we had agreed upon that she wasn't going to be doing. Well, you know what? She could have made a lot of money doing that. What if she had said, well, you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. She would have violated what the Scripture says. Listen, if the woman or the wife 
is only submissive in things that she agrees with, she is not submissive. Do we understand that? If your husband tells you, this is what we're going to do, and you make the decision, and I'm not talking about a violation of Scripture, but if your husband says, okay, here's where we're going to go, here's what we're going to do, and you choose to do otherwise, you are not in subordination to your husband. And that is a sin. You understand that? That's what the Scripture teaches. Now, is this popular? Absolutely not. There are a lot of folks, they get their feathers ruffled when we talk about submission in the home. If we want to question somebody about this role, my advice would be take it up with the Lord. He's the one that laid it down. And if we choose not to obey what the Bible says, we are rebelling against the teaching of Scripture. Now, that's how serious this is. Now, we can blow it off and say, well, you know, that's just what Paul said years ago. Didn't know what he was talking about. That was cultural. I beg to differ. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, when the apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, he said that prayer, supplications, intercessions were to be made for all men, for kings and all who were in authority. Who was, the, who was on the throne in Rome when Paul wrote that? Nero Caesar. Nero Caesar was not a godly man. But Paul said, I want you to pray for him. Furthermore, those who were living under Roman rule, were they to be subject to that rule? The answer is yes. Well, what if it conflicted with what the teaching of the Bible is? They weren't to be submissive. But then in that context, Paul is talking about the role of women in worship. In verse 4, he said that God would have all men to be saved. And the word there denotes male and female, humankind, God's desire, all men to be saved. But then down in verse 8, he restricts it in the context of public worship. He said, I will therefore that the men pray everywhere. The word for men there is male only. Well, there might be some who say, well, you know, that was just a cultural thing. Paul went all the way back to the beginning. And Paul said, Adam was first formed and then Eve. That is not cultural. We've got to understand this is what the Bible teaches. It's not what I think. This is not optional. Now, somebody might say, well, I'm just going to do what I want to do. Well, you can do what you want to do. But I can tell you what, if that's your attitude you will not please the Lord. The goal is to please God, isn't it? So listen to what Paul said. Go back again and look at Ephesians 5. We talk about submissive love. If the husband is demonstrating the kind of sacrificial, selfless love that Christ exemplified in purchasing the church, then Submission's not a difficult thing, is it? Listen to what he said. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So you have submissive love, sacrificial love, 
and selfless love. I think I mentioned a week or two ago, if you want to try to have a wonderful marriage and home life, you just try to outdo your mate. You try to one-up them in kindness and goodness and love. I can tell you this, you'll have a successful home. It'll be, that's right, it'll be a beautiful thing. All right? Paul said that it might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that it might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. I'm going to just pause here and make this observation. This is a very special kind of love, isn't it? And we talk about love for animals, and we love this, and we love that. The love that is to exist in the home is set apart from worldly love. This is agape love, the highest form of love. When we love as the Lord did, are we going to be submissive? Yes, we will. Are we going to be sacrificial in the home? Yes. Well, what about selfless? Yeah, one of the reasons why homes fail is because selfishness exists. And you know what that does? That breeds strife and division. And Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. What the Lord wants you to do is bicker and fight and be in constant turmoil and that's not what God designed. If we apply the principles that are set forth here, I promise you, what God has said, it works. The reason homes are not where they ought to be today is because we have come to the conclusion, well, we know better than God does. And sadly, sometimes you've got two people that are bucking for power. You've got the husband and the wife, and they both want to be the head, both want to be the leader will never work that way. You've heard the expression, too many chiefs and not enough Indians. Now go back and look at John chapter 6. In John 6, Jesus talked about being the bread of life. And you remember what John said by way of commentary? John said, those who were present on that occasion said, this is a difficult saying, a hard saying. Who can accept it? This is a hard, difficult subject for some folks to accept. And I'm not just talking about people outside the church. I'm talking about folks in the church. I have heard of prospective, prospective brides who have said to the preacher, do not quote headship in this ceremony. I violated one of my cardinal rules a while back. I conducted a marital service. I have had far better luck burying people than I have marrying them. And I have come to the conclusion that, you know what, I don't need to marry people. That's not my responsibility. Now, I've done it. And don't get me wrong, I would far rather do a funeral than a wedding. And again, my success rate in that realm, 
I cannot say that about people that I've joined together in marriage. So, you know, we got, when we talk about, I mean, this is just fundamental, what we're talking about. And so it's a very special kind of love. You remember Paul in writing to Titus many years ago, taught that the aged, more mature women are to teach the younger women to love their husbands and to love their children. And you say, well, that ought to come natural. Well, maybe it should, but it doesn't with everybody. Not everyone has that natural affection spoken of in Scripture. Love is not just an emotion or a feeling. Now, is there emotion and feeling in love? Yes. But if emotion and feelings are the only thing present in the context of your marriage, it's not going to work. You've got to be taught, you've got to learn to love one another. Why? Because you are married to an imperfect person. Now, if you think your mate's perfect, God bless you. What I'm saying is, I don't know of anybody that's perfect. We all have our faults and frailties. We're all trying to do the best we can. And sometimes we say things, sometimes we do things that we shouldn't. But in the context of the home, you remember what Paul said, love suffers long and is kind. Kill them with kindness. You've got to learn to suffer with your mate. You've got to learn to bear with or to put up with some of the idiosyncrasies of the person you're married to. They don't see the world like you do always. So what you've got to do, you've got to somehow find common ground. But if we genuinely loved one another as the Bible teaches, submission wouldn't even be a question. Not even a problem. But again, whenever you get away from the paradigm or the pattern, that's when the problems occur. So look at what Paul said. Talking about the love that Christ had for the church, that He might present it to Himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now look at verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Husbands, you love your body? You love yourself? I'd say yes, probably. I mean, I'd say we would all respond by saying yes. Well, what Paul's saying is you need to channel that kind of love toward your mate. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Now you think about the Lord making provisions for those of us in the church. And all the great blessings that we enjoy in Christ as the head of the household, the father, the husband. We're the providers, aren't we? And not just the provider, but also we are to be the protector in the home. 
That's the role that God has given us. Now note, there's another thought here in connection with love. It is a separating type of love. Listen to what he says beginning in verse 30. We're members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his wife, his own wife, as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Well, what do I mean when I say in the context of marriage, we're talking about a separating type of love? Paul here goes all the way back to the beginning, doesn't he? And if you go back and read the record in Genesis chapter 2, God said, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. If as a couple or as a prospective couple, to those of our young folks, if you can't cut the apron string and stand on your own, you're not ready to be married. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Years ago, when I was preaching for a congregation, we had an issue that arose. It had to do with morals. And really, in this context, it had to do with immorality. And it created a lot of problems for us in the church. At the time, I was very young, and if somebody asked me, well, would you do things differently today? The answer would be, absolutely. But I was young, trying to figure things out and learn and grow. But I remember on one occasion, I think it was on a Saturday, this thing had become a public issue. And people were dividing up party lines. And so the elders were going to meet with the people who were involved, that is, you had a husband, a wife, and another woman, and they were all members of the church where I was preaching. When I walked into the meeting and looked to my left, there sat one of the girl's father. And I remember asking on that occasion, what's he doing here? Now, why did I say that? I mean, that was her father. Shouldn't he be concerned? Yes. The point is, that couple had to stand on their own. Now, look, you can go to your folks for counsel and all of that. But in that context, that brother, and he was an elder in the church, he had no right being involved in that meeting. That couple needed to clean up the mess that they had created. And that was between them and the eldership. Now there are a lot of young folks. They get in trouble and one of the real problems in days gone by has been mama and daddy's bailed them out of every circumstance that came along. And then they get married, and they can't stand on their own. 
Now, does that mean you can't go to your parents for wisdom and counsel and advice? No, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, if you can't handle your problems as a married couple, then you have a problem. Because what Paul said is that the husband is to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. That's not what I'm, that's what God said. Does God have wisdom? Sure He does. Is this a tough subject? Yes, it is. Why? Because the times in which we are living. There are a lot of folks that, quite frankly, they have no use for this kind of teaching. When I preach and teach, I have no friends and I have no family members. I'm not cutting the truth because some people might find it offensive. Now, if folks don't like what I preach and the church doesn't like what I preach, and the elders were to decide, you know what, we're going to make a decision, we're going to go another way, then you know what, I am perfectly fine with that. And I'll walk out this door, and I will not say one word. I'll pray for them. But I'm not going to bend the teaching of God to accommodate anyone. Not a single person. And that includes my family members. And as I said last week, I have family members who are in marriages that are not biblical. Do I love them? Yes, I do. But I'm not going to support them. I'm not going to defend their actions. But what I am going to do is defend what the Bible teaches. I'm going to give an account for how I preach the gospel. So I want to just preface all this by, by saying right up front, look, I know this is not popular. Whether or not you choose to obey what I am saying or what the Bible says, that's up to you. You've got to give an account for how you live. As a husband or father, you have to give an account of whether or not you're going to be the man that God wants you to be. And quite frankly, we've got guys in the church today that lack a spine. They will not stand up and do what's right. And we all know what I'm talking about. If we're not willing to be what God wants us to be, my advice is you better not get married. If you can't lead the home as God wants you to, and do not think for a minute that God will not hold us responsible for how we conduct the affairs in the home. And let me tell you as a husband how important all of this is. I want to close by calling attention to 1 Peter chapter 3 again. And I want you to see something in connection. We'll come back and talk about it more. I was listening to Brother Franklin Camp the other day, Brother Camp said, in his opinion, the responsibilities that God has placed upon the husband are far more difficult in terms of the weight. He said, you know what, this, this is tough stuff. 
In 1 Peter chapter 3, you remember Peter is talking about the Christian woman who's married to an unbelieving husband. Drop down, look at verse 7. Peter said, Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them with understanding, knowledge. Why? Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Now I want you to see what Peter says here. That your prayers may not be hindered. If as a husband I fail to treat my wife as God wants me to treat her, if I fail to do what God has said, you know what Peter said? The Lord will not hear my prayers. And that goes for all of us here today who are men as the spiritual leader in the home. If you fail to do your job in the home, don't think for a minute God's listening to your prayers. That's serious stuff, isn't it? And what I said at the onset, this is a hard, hard saying. But it's biblical. And it may be the case that well, I'd say, I'd just go back and say, you know what? I have not taught as much on the home throughout my preaching and teaching life as I should have. And I pray God will forgive me for that. And I pray God will forgive me for times when I haven't been what I ought to be in the home. Now, you can get mad and walk out of here and say, the old guy doesn't know what he talks about. What, he, what he's talking about and all that, that's your, that's your prerogative. But what I'm telling you is, this is Bible. And we either accept it and go to heaven, or we reject it and we don't go to heaven. That needs to be crystal clear. We need to be unequivocal when it comes to what the Bible teaches. Are you a Christian? Are, are you what you need to be in the home? If you want to get your home off, off on the right foot, what you need to do is obey the gospel. Remember what Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We've got to serve God. And as a parent, as a husband, you have the responsibility of those children. We'll talk about that next week. What would you need to do? You need to obey the gospel. Do as they did on Pentecost Day. Repent, be baptized, and then let God put you in the church, the house of the saved. We just read about that in Ephesians 5, verse 23. Only one church, only one body, and the saved are in that one church or one body. If you're here today, and let's just say that maybe your home life's not what it ought to be. And you really want the prayers of the church, but you're afraid that people would be judgmental. I would pray that people would not be judgmental. But what I would encourage you to do, if you need the prayers of the church, let us pray with you and for you. To know that God will bless you and strengthen you and that your home can be what it ought to be in the eyes of God. If, for whatever reason, your home life's not what it ought to be, 
And as the old saying is, the buck stops with me, and you need to get some things in order. I'd encourage you to do that as we stand and sing.